This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. As most of you know, we've been studying a lot recently in the, in the book of Second Peter. And even more recently, we've been studying about Peter's discourse about false teachers. And just to very briefly recap this, uh, these studies, we began by studying the nature of false teachers, their heresies, the wrong ways that they choose to follow. We, dis we uh, discussed and studied a little bit about their destructiveness, the uh, secret or sneaky way in which they used to, to appeal to us and to appeal to uh, covetousness, which is not a good thing, but uh, that's what they appeal to is covetousness. They used deceptive words, we found out, and we found out that the fact is they bring swift destruction upon themselves and those that follow them. Then we looked at what Peter had to declare about what their end would be, what their destiny, what the future held for those false teachers. And that led us to conclude a couple of things. One was that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of those situations. And he also knows how to reserve those false teachers for the day of judgment. And that their judgment is to come and their, their judgment doesn't rest. It doesn't sleep. It's still coming. <clears throat> he declared that they bring destructiveness upon themselves and those that follow them. In 2 Peter 2, chapter uh, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall also be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many, the Bible says, shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words or sneaky words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. That's not a very good outlook. It's not a very good path to follow. It's not a very comforting thing to realize will come against us. But it was to come against the people that Peter was speaking to, and it's to come against us today. Sometimes we don't know it. That's the scary part about it. Sometimes we don't realize it. Why? Because they're sneaky. Because they appeal to things that we want. Things that look good to us. And before you know it, they've got us pulled in to their way of thinking. The verses in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, Peter said if... God wouldn't spare the angels that fell from heaven but cast them down to, to hell. And why would he spare others that came against him? He also said if God saved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, among all the wicked that was in the world before the flood, but he went on to destroy the world by flood, why can't he still do that? 
Why can't he do that today? If he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, but saved Lot out of that situation, what can he do today? He can do the same thing. It's not that much of a difficulty. You know, people, people look around the world today and they say, well, if the world is that evil, if everything in the world is that evil, then how can anyone be righteous? How can anyone live righteous among all that? But God knows that people can live righteously. And he expects us to live righteously. In verse 9, he said, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. We don't know how. God knows how. He knows how to do it. Now, you might say that that's pretty strong words. And if you know anything about society today, you know that people have gotten where they don't care for strongly worded comments. They want speech to be soft, and they want speech to be comforting. And that's not what Peter uses here. So I ask you, was he justified in, in using strong language here? Well, I think to answer that question, you've got to remember that Peter was an inspired apostle of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost interacted upon Peter's heart to make him write these things and to speak these things. So yes, he was justified. He had every authority to speak these words. <clears throat> but think about this. These false teachers that Peter's talking about here were not teaching false things ignorantly. In other words... You might teach something, I have taught things ignorantly that were wrong. I didn't know. I didn't know better. I learned better. That's not what these people did. These people knew what they were doing. They were very aware of the deceptions that they were causing, and they were glad to do it. They were happy to do it because it was going to get something they wanted. They were going to achieve something. So in our study today, I want us to learn from Peter uh, a little bit about the evils of these false teachers. And what we're going to see is some of their characteristics, some of the things that they, they did, some of the th ways in which they deceived, and uh, some of the things we learn about them through the scriptures. I want to I study firstly with you that these people despise and abuse those in authority. Now, we all, I guess, from time to time don't care about the authority that we have in our life here in the United States or anywhere around the world for that matter. Perhaps some of you even sometimes are not very thrilled with the authority that the elders, deacons may have in the church. Maybe you don't agree with them. And that's, that's okay, but these people despise it. They hate it. They, they not only hate it, they don't want to abide by it. And they constantly look for ways to get away from authority. Because authority comes against everything that they desire, everything they want. They'll speak evil of it. They'll try to embarrass it. They'll try to stab it in the back, so to speak. 
They'll do anything they can to get around authority because they want to be the authority. 2 Peter 2, chapter, uh, verses 10 and 11, or beginning in verse 10. We're going to take each one of these uh, three verses individually and kind of look at some things that are said about them. Uh, beginning there in verse 10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. So here's a characteristic of these false teachers. They walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. So what, what does that mean? All they're interested in is lustful pleasure. That's all they want. Not only that, they go hard after it. That's their, one of their main focuses in life. The lust of uncleanness. They want it. And they want it bad. <clears throat> also there in the 10th verse, presumptuous are they, self-willed. You know people like that? Sometimes I guess I'm one of those people like that. As I get to thinking about this, you know, you, you begin to see that in your own life when you really begin to, begin to consider it. But they're presumptuous. They're, uh, they're daring. They're bold. They're audacious. They're self-willed. They want what they want. And they don't care what you want or what you may need. They want you to want the same thing they do. But they don't care about what you need. Now we're going to skip uh, verse 11 for the moment. We're going to come back to it in a, in a minute. But let's look at verse 12. Peter describes them, but these as natural brute beasts. Now what's that mean? That's pretty strong language. What's he talking about here? Peter says they walk after the flesh. And they're, they're like brute beasts. Now you think about an animal and... Uh, Landry would know this. He's, he's dealt with cattle. Matt would know this. He's dealt with cattle a lot. Uh, animals can't be reasoned with. You can't, you can't grab an animal by the face and say, listen to me. This is what we need to do. This is good for you. And that's what these people are. They won't listen to reason. They won't be reasoned with. They don't care what you think. They don't care what's best for you. They're like brute beasts. They want what they want, which is to eat and procreate and drink and sleep, and that's all they want, and they don't care about anything else. That's natural brute beast. And Peter says these people, these false teachers are like that. They're like animals. And if we go back to verse 10 for a moment, it says, Peter says, they are not afraid to speak evil, of dignities, which we would refer to as dignitaries, or maybe those in authority. <clears throat> uh, Peter says they despise authority. They don't appreciate the, the principles of authority. They don't understand or appreciate the idea of submission to authorities. Uh, and it, the thing about it is that Peter has already addressed this in the, in the first chapter, in the first book of Peter. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 17, he said, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So we're taught to submit very, on, very early on by Peter. And now he says these people won't do that. They will not submit. They're, afraid, they're not afraid 
to speak evil of dignitaries. They're not afraid to, to uh, embarrass them, chastise them. And I, when I think about that, I can't help but think about us sometimes as we're speaking about those that may be an authority over us that we're supposed to submit ourselves to. You know, we understand sometimes they don't follow the word of God like we would like for them to. But in spite of that fact, we're supposed to submit ourselves to them as best we can within the framework of the word of God. And I don't always do that. Sometimes I don't speak very well of them. So what's the scripture hold for me in that regard? How should I react? But these false teachers, they feel no need to submit to anyone who is over them. They're not afraid to, to speak evil of them. The word uh, dignitary, dignities, dignitaries as we would call it, is doxa. Uh, it literally means properly honor or glory, splendor. And I've got to confess that got, that got me to chasing a little bit of a rabbit hole because that's not exactly the the uh, definition I expected honor, glory, splendor these, these people were not afraid to speak evil of those that were in honorary places glory, glorified places uh, or splendor it can refer to human dignitaries such as church authorities or, or public leaders, public authorities but it also can speak of heavenly beings like angels. This is kind of where I got to chasing the rabbit hole. Because Peter has talked about fallen angels. Well, you might think, maybe, what's wrong with speaking evil of fallen angels? I think we're going to see in a little bit, I don't think that's expected of us. I don't think we're supposed to speak that way, even of fallen angels. And we'll see that in just a few moments. <clears throat> now going on to verse 11. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, now listen, bring not a railing accusation against them before the Lord. Them who? False teachers. The angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not a railing accusation against these false teachers. That's interesting, isn't it? That's something to think about. <clears throat> I want to take a little time and explore this just a little bit further. <clears throat> Maybe I'm wrong about this, and if I am, feel free to correct me and instruct me on it. But I want you to consider for just a moment that in the context of verse 11 here, in a parallel passage in Jude, could it be that the fallen angels that are spoken of here are these dignitaries? Could it be that even Satan himself, who has fallen from heaven, could be one of these dignities? <clears throat> you know, Satan certainly at one time was a very important person before he, he was thrown out of heaven. Maybe he was one of these fallen angels. Maybe he was the chief angel. If I'm wrong, so be it. But I bring this up to try to make a point that you'll see in just a moment. The word them, 
right here properly means themselves. That's what the word means, themselves. So you could say, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not a railing against themselves. So are we talking about these fallen angels? Are we talking about possibly Satan himself? <clears throat> now I realize that there's no specific scripture that declares Satan as an angel that has fallen from heaven. But there is a lot of symbolic scripture back in the Old Testament that indicates so. One such is Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15. The scripture there speaks of the king of Babylon. But then it begins to make a description that sounds like Satan himself. Some things that a human really couldn't do. There in verse 12, the Bible describes this king of Babylon as Lucifer. Now, Lucifer is a transliteration, which it was a literal Latin word. It, and the King James translators didn't know what to do with it, so they just left it Lucifer. That's what it is in Latin. And so that's what they, they wrote it in in the, in the English Bible. <clears throat> but Jude 8 and 9 says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh and despise dominion and speak even of, of dignitaries, just like Peter said. Now I want you to get this especially. Verse 9, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now, don't make the mistake I did. Because I read this scripture and I immediately wanted to know what was the contention between Michael the archangel and Satan about Moses' body. <laughs> don't waste your time because you're not going to find it. <laughs> Believe me, I looked. There's nothing in the Old Testament that you can categorically say this is, this is the situation that they were talking about. So I went back and I read the scripture again and I thought, you know what? That's, that's not even the point this scripture is trying to make. The point this scripture is trying to make is Michael, the archangel, was contending with the devil. He had a disagreement with the devil. They were arguing about it and Michael would not bring a railing accusation against Satan. He wouldn't do it. He simply said, the Lord rebuked thee. Don't you think that's how we ought to be sometimes when we get in, a, get in an argument, get in a discussion, especially with false teachers, someone we know that is teaching an error? Shouldn't we not take it upon ourselves to, to bring a railing accusation against them? Well, you're just worthless. You don't know what you're talking about. You're teaching false things. You're no good. You're irredeemable. That's a railing accusation. How do we know that? Who are we to pronounce that authority on them? The Lord rebuked thee. The Lord will take care of it. He'll deal with it. We have no business making those judgments. <clears throat> These false teachers spoke evilly of things that they didn't understand. Verse 12 but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. You know what the, the end of natural brute beast is? 
we eat them. They're, take, they're make it, made to be destroyed. That's what they're made for. Peter says they speak evil of things that they do not understand. <clears throat> you know, these false teachers speak with an attitude of despite towards those in authority. They think they know better. Satan thought he knew better than God. Satan wanted to be in God's position. He wanted that position of authority. He thought he knew better. He thought he had a better way. And what the fact really is, is they don't understand at all. Nor did Satan. He didn't understand at all. But they had this arrogance about them. And they're willing to speak evil. And the Bible says that they have corrupted themselves. In Jude, verse 10, But these spake evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. So if the scriptures are actually condemning those that speak evil and bring a railing accusation even against false angels, or fallen angels, even against Satan himself, what does that say about those that would speak evil against authorities in the church? What would that say about those that were willing to speak evils, evil against civil dignitaries? What would that say about someone that speaks evil against anyone, just your fellow man? What does that say about us when we do that? Now, I realize that we have to offset false teaching. I, I realize that we have to, have to teach against false teaching, and we have to teach the correct path and the correct way. And through the scriptures, we've got to speak in favor of the word of God. But who are we to have anything to say about someone else's condemnation or salvation? Either one. To rail against them as being worthless or irredeemable. To set, tell them that they will burn in hell. Who are we to, to make that judgment? Wouldn't it be better just to say, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord will rebuke you. So hopefully, uh, Peter's words here exhort us to be careful uh, what we consider about authority and submission to authority. And hopefully it will teach us to choose our language carefully in such matter. Now these evil, the evil of these false teachers is further uh, considered by the fact that they write with great pleasure. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. And shall receive the word of, the, of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to write in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart that they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. They, they count it pleasure to write in the daytime. They love to make merry. Uh, we, we might be tended to say they like to party 
but that's not exactly accurate either. The King James Version uses right. Most other modern translations use the word revel. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 7 verse 25 translates the same word as delicately. And I thought that was interesting. Why delicately? Well, the fact is that the meaning here of the word is that they love to indulge in extreme sensual pleasures. They love it. They love softness, soft living. They love luxurious living. That's the people that we're dealing with here. They count it pleasure to live like this in the daytime. Now, that doesn't mean that it's okay to live like that at night, obviously, but, but it demonstrates that instead of physical labor, instead of working for the Lord, instead of committing to the working for the kingdom of God, these individuals like soft living. And they like luxurious living. They like things to be done for them. The Bible goes on there to say spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. They live delicately. The old phrase that I remember is they live in the lap of luxury. Uh, Peter says they, they like to feast. They'll feast with you. They'll feast on you. If they can. Maybe they take advantage of Christian kindness and generosity. Maybe they use that for their benefit. And Peter indicates that they do so with skillful deception. In other words, they know, they know how to talk to you. They use words that will soothe you and, uh, and are appealing to you. He says that they have eyes full of adultery. They've corrupted their eyes. They've corrupted their heart. Uh, there in verse 14. Matthew 5 and 28 says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. These false teachers want to possess what their eyes see. They don't care about what they should want to possess, which was salvation, which is good things, which is the Christian way of life. They don't worry about that. They want what their eyes see. They want it all. They feel like they deserve it all. You know, that's what the man that looks on a woman and lusts after, he, he wants what he sees. The Bible says that's adultery. And it's the same thing with these false teachers that that have eyes full of adultery. They just want what they see. <clears throat> they cannot cease from sin. You ever thought about being in a state where you cannot cease from sin? Even when you know it's wrong. But because of your way of life, because of the habits you've formed, because of the things that you want, you cannot, you cannot cease from sin. What a state to be in. They lust after it. This alone speaks to their wickedness, their evilness. <clears throat> Beguiling unstable souls. That means that they are willing to entice, deceive those that are not mature, in scriptures, 
those that don't have the advantage of, of learning of the scriptures, those that might be very young in the scriptures, that's the ones they want. That's the ones they go after. That's the one they seek. It says that their heart is trained in covetous practices. They are skilled in how to get what they want. You know people like that? They're good with their words. They know how to talk you into anything. We might refer to them as great salesmen. They can sell their point of view. I want to ask you a question. Does that not perfectly describe Satan? Does that not describe him magnificently? That he is greatly skilled in getting you to do what he wants you to do. And what they want all pertains to the flesh. That's identified by the term used by Peter, adultery. <clears throat> says in this wickedness, in this evil, in this state that they are in, they have truly become cursed children. The fact that they are cursed children, children, indicates again that uh, they were once, these false teachers were once godly. They were once Christians even. Reinforced in 2 Peter 2 and verse 1 where Peter says, denying the Lord who bought them. They were purchased. These people were purchased. Now they're considered cursed children. 2 Peter 2 and 20 says, after they escaped the pollutions of the world, they were godly. And now they're not. Now they're cursed children. Another such indication is seen as we consider the last point concerning the evil of these false teachers, that they forsake the right way. That's what they've done. I don't know how long it took. I don't know if it was immediate. I don't know if it took a long time. But at some point, they forsook the right way. Now, for the next few verses, we're going to be using the New King James Version. And I do that because the language used is a little more modern, a little more soft than the King James Version. So keep that in mind. It, it appears mostly like the King James Version, but you'll see a few words different. As we <clears throat> read in 2 Peter 2, chapter, uh, verse 15 and 16, <clears throat> they have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. So they've forsaken the right way. You know, you can't forsake something that you never had. You can't forsake a way that you never knew. But these people are referred to as having forsaken the right way, indicating again that at one point they knew the right way, they understood the right way. <clears throat> Sadly, it adds to the description of how easily and how far one can fall. Here in, in the 15th verse, Peter is evidently making a little bit of a play on words because he used this same phrase and I don't have this highlighted but he speaks of the wages of unrighteousness and he uses that phrase earlier in the scripture in verse 13 
He uses the wages of unrighteousness, and it's referred to as the eternal reward one receives for their sins. It's their condemnation. But that's not the way it's being used here in, in verse 15. In verse 15, the wages of unrighteousness refers to the momentary reward that one might receive from their sins. Money, fame, notoriety, fleshly desires, fulfillment of personal wishes. That's what the wages of unrighteousness refers to here. <clears throat> says that they follow the way of Balaam. <clears throat> so like the prophet Balaam, they were swayed by the wages of unrighteousness. So we're going to go back to Numbers, the 22nd chapter, and we're going to see a little bit about Balaam. Verse 17, I want you to notice what was trying to be sold to Balaam. Balak, we'll talk about him in just a moment. Balak says, for I will promote thee unto very great honor. I will promote thee to very great honor. <clears throat> so, Balak was a, was a king, and uh, the children of Israel were about to overtake his country. He saw no way out. He saw no way in which they could defeat the children of Israel. And Balak heard of Balaam, a man a little ways from him, and, and Balaam was a prophet of sorts. He was, he, was, he was not really diligent in his prophecy, so to speak. We might say today he wasn't real religious, but he was, he was a prophet. And he did, in some ways, uh, look to God for guidance. Well, Balak wanted Balaam to come down to his country and curse the children of Israel so he could win the war. He said, I can't win without you. And so he sent men down to Balaam, and these men came and desired Balaam to come back with them and curse the children of Israel. He said, well, I've got to speak to God about this. So he goes and he speaks to God, and God says, no, who are these people? You're not, you're not going with these people. These are people are blessed. These people are my children. You're not going to curse them. Okay. So Balaam tells these men, I, I can't go with you. God says, I can't go with you. So they go back, and they, they tell Balak this, and this is when Balak makes this promise to Balaam. He's make him this offer. Tell him, I'll, I'll promote you to the very highest honor. So they come back to Balaam and they, they make this offer. And Balaam says, it doesn't matter if Balak was to give me half his kingdom. I can't come with you. But stay here for a minute and I'll go back and I'll talk to the Lord and I'll see what he has to say. And, the, and God tells him that time, says, uh, if they come for you in the morning, you can go with them. But you can only tell them, you can only speak what I tell you to speak. You can, only, you can only tell them the words that I give to you. Well, Balaam didn't wait. He didn't wait for the men to come back for him. He got up early the next morning, got on his donkey, and he, he headed for the country. He didn't, he didn't wait. And God was very displeased with that. 
Then God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in a way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now in the next few verses we see an interesting happening unfold. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing in his way. He sees him. And uh, he turns off the path. Tries to go around well, Balaam takes his staff and he beats the donkey back into the path and down the road. And the angel of the Lord moves further down the road where there's a wall on one side. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord. And so he shoves himself over against the wall and he crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. And Balaam beats him with the staff and makes him get away from the wall going down the road. The angel of the Lord goes further down the road where there's no way to turn to the right or left. There's no way off the path. And he's standing there with his sword in his hand. And the donkey sees, sees the angel of the Lord there, and he just falls down under Balaam. And Balaam's just so angry with him. We pick up the, the story there in the 27th verse. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, he lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to thee, that thou hast struck me with these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because thou hast abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, now I would kill thee. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword, in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on the earth and the angel of the Lord said to him why have you struck your donkey these three times bold I have come out against thee to stand against thee because your way is perverse before me the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times if she had not turned aside from me surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live and Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that ye shall speak. For Balaam went with, so Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now, you talk about a man that was focused solely on what he wanted. Here's a man that was locked in an argument with a donkey. How long do you have to argue with a donkey before you say, Oh, wait a minute, what's going on here? But it didn't happen very quick. It didn't happen very quick. The donkey was the one being reasonable in this situation. The donkey said, I'm trying to save your life. And you're beating me with a stick. Do you see how far your mind can get away from the right way? Balaam wanted what he wanted. He wanted honor. And even a donkey talking to him did not dissuade him immediately from that path. He didn't believe it until he saw the angel of the Lord himself. And the angel of the Lord said, why are you beating your donkey? She's trying to save your life. That's a man focused on what he wanted. How, how are we today? 
How focused are we today on what we really want? Can we find ourselves in this situation? <clears throat> if Balaam should have listened to a donkey, how much more should we listen to the words of the Apostle Peter? When he's trying to tell us how to deal with the problem of false teachers. <clears throat> Second Peter 2.17 says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of the darkness is reserved forever. These, this verse describe, or illustrates two things about the wickedness of false teachers. It says they're wells without water and they're clouds carried by a tempest. And you know what both illustrations are talking about? Something that promises great things and delivers nothing. Wells without water promise refreshment. Water and there's nothing there. Clouds blown away by the tempest promise rain and nourishment for the earth and there's nothing there. Peter says that's what these false teachers are. <clears throat> Peter says in, in verse 3 of this chapter that they promise much, these false teachers, but they're so depraved, they're so evil, that there's only one thing waiting for them, and that's judgment. A judgment that he says was pronounced against them a long time ago. A judgment that he says hasn't fallen idle. It is not sleeping. It's just waiting. The same judgment he says that was pronounced against the angels that have sinned and were fallen from heaven unto hell. That same judgment he says in verse 4. Peter goes on and says that there will be more to understand about these false teachers that we'll get to in our, in our final study of this section. But in the meantime, I want you to recall something that Peter said in the very beginning of 2 Peter, the book of 2 Peter. Something he reminded us of, something that we should all remind ourselves of. Two simple thoughts, beware but grow. And now he's applying it to these false teachers. Beware of false teachers. In order to do that, continue to grow. Always continue to grow. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest, all, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be... Glory, both now and forever. Amen. Beware of the false teachers. The way you do that, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've got to be on guard at all times. <clears throat> We've got to be on guard against false teachers. We've got to be on guard against our own lack of diligence. You, uh, you will encounter false teachers in your life. Sometimes they will do so ignorantly. 
Sometimes they'll be like these we've studied this evening who know better. They know what they're doing, and they're intentionally trying to deceive you. <clears throat> but as we've seen through the words of Peter, some will, will teach us knowing that they're going to deceive us, wanting to deceive us because they get gain from it. Your spiritual well-being is not important to them. They couldn't care less about your spiritual well-being. You are a means to an end for them, whether that's money, fame, prestige, uh, whether it's the idea, their idea of glory, they'll use you as a useful idiot to get what they want. But it's our responsibility to watch for them, to identify them, to refuse to follow them, to not allow them to use us for their gain. So remember these things as you go through your life when you're dealing with people that you may not know people that uh, you come in contact with, whether young or old. You never know what their intentions are. You have to learn what their intentions are. You have to beware and grow. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com. Or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.